This is episode number 410 with Seiku Andrews. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. to become a better communicator, a better speaker on stage, a better performer, then this is the episode for you. Seiku Andrews is an incredible person that I met, I think about four or five years ago. I saw this individual speak on stage at an event called Summit Series, and I was captivated from the very first word to the very last. His performance had such a profound impact on me that I remember going up to him afterwards and saying, I've never wanted to hire a speaker coach before until I met you. I want to learn everything you know about public speaking and connecting to an audience. Now, Seiku Andrews is an actor, a musician, and a national poetry slam champion, an entrepreneur, and now award-winning poetic voice. And on any given day, you may find Seiku presenting an original talk for an international marketing executive's giving a keynote speech at a leadership conference, or performing pieces for Obama or Oprah. His work has been featured on ABC World News, MSNBC, HBO, Good Morning America, Showtime, MTV, and BET. And he has performed privately for people like Maya Angelou, Larry King, Hillary Clinton, and so much more. Some of his corporate clients include Nike, Time Warner, Cisco, eBay, Microsoft, Google, LinkedIn, Express, PayPal, General Mills, NBA, NCAA, and so much more as he teaches corporate leaders how to perform better in the boardroom and more. And some of the things we covered today are the best ways and worst ways to open any speech, how someone can become a master speaker, no matter what level you're at. Also, Seiku performs a part of his piece, Voiceful, which is extremely powerful, so you can see how he performs and delivers. We talk about the key to good audience management from the stage and Seiku's advice to people who are terrified of public speaking. Guys, if you want to learn to be a master communicator, if you want to learn how to master the stage, this is one of the best in the world at teaching this and performing it. I've only seen a few people really captivate me the way Seiku does, but he does it in such a unique, distinct way that no one does it like him. You're in for a real treat. Make sure to share this with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 410. Watch the full video interview on the link there as well, or you can go right to youtube.com slash lewishouse to watch it as you'll get to experience his performance style on video more so than an audio and this is an incredible one, so make sure to share it with your friends. And without further ado, let me introduce to you the one, the only, Seiku Andrews. Hey 
From now until March 19th, Whole Foods Market is running their sales event, Taste the Mediterranean. It's a store-wide, flavor-packed journey of regionally-inspired selections. Save on Mediterranean-inspired flavors like Parmigiano, Regano, Charcuterie, and Ground Lamb. Find sales on animal welfare-certified meat. Save on seafood like Whole Bronzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon. Stock up on wallet-happy Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles and whole wheat pita pockets. Wines from the sun-soaked vineyards of Spain, Greece, and Italy start at just $8.99. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits like four times membership rewards points that adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year and up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. So many of us love coffee, like the living for it type of love. Some like it hot, some like it iced with a splash of creamer, and some like it with a cold foam topping. Many of us stop into coffee shops on our way to work more often than we'd like to admit. But now, thanks to International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, you can make cold foam coffee at home, or in my team's case, in the office, and it's a game changer. I was just chatting with a teammate of mine about our love for the occasional sweet treat coffee. Sometimes, it's just the thing you need as a pick-me-up on a busy day and we just stocked our office fridge with international delight cold foam creamer and it never misses the team's favorite flavor so far is the caramel macchiato you just shake the canister and spray it into your coffee and voila you've got an incredible cold foam coffee no frothing fancy machines or mess required international delight cold foam creamer foams and creams your coffee from top to bottom the best part it works on both hot and iced coffee it comes in three foaming delicious flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato. So you can switch things up depending on your mood. Look for your favorite flavor next time you're at your grocery store and be prepared to say goodbye to your barista. International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. It's foaming delicious. All right. Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness podcast. Very excited about our guest, Sekou Andrews, in the house. Good to see you, man. What's How up? you doing? Good, huh? I'm uh, super pumped about this. I remember watching you for the first time at Summit Base Camp. Uh, where was that? Tahoe? Or yep. where? Uh, Tahoe. Uh, Reno, yeah. Mm-hmm. Reno, is that yeah. where it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah, about four years what? ago, maybe? Three, four years yeah. ago? Yeah, somewhere around there. And I I saw you for the first time, and I was just like, wow. I came up to you afterwards. I don't know if you remember this, but I was like, I want to learn how to speak like you. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but yeah. I remember that, but it, I literally up until now, <laughs> I didn't make that yeah, connection yeah, yeah, yeah. that that was you. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember hearing you speak or I watched you speak and I was just mesmerized. <laughs> it was like this magnetic pull to your style, your approach to uh, that's awesome. not speaking, but performing and, you know, everything, what you, which is what you call poetic voice, yeah. correct? Yep. That's which is your style of public speaking. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about what that actually is? What's poetic voice mean? Yeah. So poetic voice is basically the seamless blend of inspirational speaking and spoken word poetry. So if you imagine, you know, um, if you're listening to a speech that's being performed and it gives you the same sort of energy and dynamic uh, range and emotive power Mm -hmm. of a performance 
and you lose track of where the business content ends and the storytelling begins and the rhyming begins and the theater ends and the comedy begins and it just becomes sort of this one seamless experience. Because I would see a lot of poets or artists that were that were speakers and they would do sort of a set speech, you know what I'm saying? Where you'd be like, okay, I'm gonna do my poem and then I'm gonna, and you're gonna applaud and then I'm gonna talk about it. Right. And then I'm gonna set up the next one, I'm gonna tell you some stories. Then I'm gonna set up the next piece, then I'm gonna perform. And then I'm you're gonna applaud. And but it then wasn't I'm gonna seamless. Talk. It wasn't seamless. It was like this. And I wanted it to be this kind of constant leaning in effect where you were like, wow, that's great business content. Is he rhyming? Wait a minute. That's a, is this a story? Like, I don't know where we are right now, but I'm along for the ride, you know? Mm. Interesting, man. Yeah. And you and you used to be a teacher, is that right? I was the last job I had before I well, started grade? working for myself. Fifth grade teacher. Fifth grade, man. Fifth grade teachers out there. What up? <laughs> Holla. Holla. <laughs> Dude, when was this? How long ago? This was 14 years ago. Wow, man. I've been a full-time poet for about 14 years, and I was that was the last job I had. I was actually on the law school track. No way. Out of college. Because, you know, your mom hears you got the of gift course. of gab, and she's like, she doesn't say, you should be a poet. She <laughs> says, you should be an attorney, you know? Right, right. So I was on. I was working at a bunch of law firms in L.A. after I graduated college. And um, You from here? I'm originally from the Bay Area. Okay. Um, I'm a Berkeley baby, so I did Berkeley. Right. Went to middle school, high school in D.C., and then came out to L.A. for college and stayed. Okay. Cool, went to Pitzer, Pitzer College out in Claremont. And uh, graduated sociology and was going to do, you know, pre-law, working in law firms. And then I was like, dude, law, law I was, so law wasn't supposed to be my backup. Entertainment sure. law was going to be my backup to being an entertainer. Uh-huh. And then you kind of look up and you're like, you know, first of all, law is not really a backup. It's kind of a commitment, yeah. <laughs> then, you know. And then I was also like, I'm not trying to be that bitter entertainment lawyer that's negotiating deals I wish I had, sure, you know what I mean? Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, check out my demo though. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's I was funny. like, let's, you know, let's try teaching. And I, I ultimately um, knew that as much as I love teaching, I couldn't give the kids my all that they deserved if I was out pursuing entertainment at night. Yeah. And so I decided to just take the leap of faith, mm. and, you know? Interesting, man. How long were you teaching for? About four years. Four years. Yeah. And you were doing your like side like gigs or yeah, I mean, nighttime. I, you know, initially during that period, I was chasing hip hop. That was mm. that was my route to spoken word came from hip hop and acting. I was pursuing Hollywood, pursuing record deals. And then somewhere along the way, I was going to open mics to build a fan base for my music because I was always kind of too poetic for the record labels. And they would, be, you know, the, the execs would be like, dude, I love your joints. I, I listen to it every day on the way to work. But it's not like, you know, bling, shoot them up, hoes, yeah, for, yeah. you know, to like sell to the man next to the man. And so I started, all right, what well, I'm doing myself. Entrepreneur in me kicked in. It was like I start my own, you know, record label, Blind Faith Records, baby. <laughs> you know, that was the joint. And, um, and I started going to open mics to build a fan base for my music. And I accidentally fell in love with spoken word poetry. That wasn't the plan. And then it was kind of like, well, damn, now what do I do? You know, like there's no industry for this. Right. So then part of me started getting more excited about about pioneering new trails in spoken word than being sort of tossed into the sea of demos and headshots out there competing for the same crumbs, you know? Wow. And so when did you do the National uh, Poetry Slam Championship? So um, during the four-year period when I was teaching – was when the transition happened. I, I went in thinking I was like, you know, pursuing hip hop, trying to get a record deal, pursuing acting. And then that transition of falling in love with spoken word happened. And so then it was like, okay, I, I started building my name up on the scene and I, my name built up pretty quickly. The spoken word scene. And spoken, yeah, spoken word. What, and, just locally, um, nationally? Lo- primarily locally yeah. here in LA. Um, shout out to DPL, you know, the Poetry Lounge was mm. was uh, my home venue and still is. And um and then 
uh, right after I quit. You know, I always it was it's a pretty powerful story of like, you know, I decided I was going to quit my job. I took my taxes, uh, my tax return money. I upgraded my studio to Pro Tools. I was oh, like, nice. I'm going to record my album. I had a double CD I recorded. Um, the CD wasn't out the day I was supposed to have my CD release show, right? So I quit my job on a Friday. Uh, that Tuesday or Wednesday or something, I had the CD release show. Um, I was freaking out. Like, my, I don't have my CDs in my hand. Finally, the guy in Carson that was duplicating them was like, well, they're done. Come pick them up. <laughs> I shot down to Carson. I picked him up. I rushed back. I ran to the, to the stage. Dude was like, what took you so long? It was a Fly Poet Showcase. If you've never been, you need to check it out. One of the right. dopest shows out here. Um, and he was like, you're on in 20 minutes. And I'm backstage panting and sweating. And I go on stage. I do one of the best sets of my career at the time. I step out on stage afterwards, surrounded by audience members, and I make my rent in CD sales that night. Wow. And I remember like when the crowd cleared, I just looked up at the sky and I was like, damn, I can do this. Like it was the most powerful moment of I can do this. And then the next day I took off to D.C. where my girlfriend lived at the time so I could do like a safe tour, you know, meaning I had a place to sleep and some, <laughs> for free, some, 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 yeah. some bread in the fridge, you know, <laughs> um, and I and I toured for about a week and a half, came back with a lot of cash about, um, you know, a few weeks later, wow. went to Atlanta, came back with a lot of cash after about a week and a half. Selling CDs. Right. Selling my CDs. And then um, a couple of weeks later is when I won the National Poetry Slam Championship. And so then that made me the number one slam poet in the country, which then gave me the eyes of the country. So now I could go anywhere and my name preceded me. And that wow. helped with that. You know, it was like almost scaling myself. Yeah, right. Yeah, wow. <laughs> well, how many people compete in the championship? Uh, so the National Poetry Slam Championship is probably about uh, about I don't I don't necessarily know exactly what it is now. But when I was competing, it's probably grown since then. Um, it was about 60 to 65 teams from around the country, wow. 300 poets, you know, converge on a city. The city bids for it like the Olympics, you know, and they get chosen as that city. Um, and then the poets converge for about four or five days. Right. And, you know, different bouts going on around the city, semifinals, finals. Wow. And at that time, the team competition and the individual competition were on the same night. And I won the individual competition. Wow. And then 2003, the following year, I then went back and I won the team competition. So that's huh. why I says two-time two national champion. Have you not gone back since? After that, you know, I joined it. You know what I mean? Like, you're right. You know like, what I mean? Like, I was just like, what else is there to do yeah. here? You know? Five-time champion? Right. Yeah. Like, I set my sights on other stuff, you know? Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, what was that like for you, going through that process and winning? And It was amazing, dude. I mean, How many people were there? Like, the, the final one. It's like, it, like it's Eminem. Yeah, Eight miles. Like, right. Like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, oh, It's like, let's go. It's like, you're all there. You're like, how? Right. My palms are sweaty. <laughs> right. Um, it's probably about a thousand no to way. two thousand folks, maybe in the theater, you and know? Just like it sells out. Um, we yeah. were on, I remember in Chicago, 2003, it was Navy Pier. Wow. Um, and it was a theater out there and it was, it was huge. And I remember like the, when I won nationals actually in Minneapolis, uh, the individual, I just remember this amazing feeling of like, as soon as I, finished and 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 the scores were announced like my whole team and community ran on the stage and bum rushed me no and, way, just, yeah ah. like everybody just came in it was like this real sense of community oh, love because wow. we had like at that time we had about five teams out here from la it was la wow. hollywood long beach inland empire you know what i mean they san diego and so it was a heavy community battling against each other but at the same time still family you That's know cool, man. so it was an amazing amazing experience and wow. then after that i mean like i said i I would just show up at spots 
And it was like Seku the Misfit. Seku the Misfit was my name back then. You know? <laughs> so, you know, that was my hip hop name. All right. So it was like Seku the Misfit's here, you know. And so um, it just helped with me being able to turn this into mm. a, a career. You yeah. Know? Crazy, man. Yeah. So can we hear one of the poems? Uh, word. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll do one of I'll do a, a poetic voice piece that okay. actually is um, it'll give you a sense of the the sort of blend um, of the inspirational speaking side and the spoken word side together. And um, this is a piece I keep debating on which joint to do. <laughs> um, I think I'll do this piece be voiceful. Okay. Um, which is uh, when I when I last saw you at the at the saying saying event, um, that was the piece that I shared in in its more sort of extended you know mm-hmm. twenty minute keynote form. But the and it's actually a, a it's actually a forty five sixty minute keynote that I do wow. all about finding your voice, the power of finding your voice. But it's sort of based on uh, this this sort of self contained piece. So cool, be voiceful. All right, it is quite simply a magical place, a universal womb that births each of our days with an act shared across this planet's face from the moment the nylon curtain is raised and you step butt naked onto your porcelain stage, your hot and cold background singers engage. You lift that soapy loofah microphone to your face and let your mighty bellow set this world ablaze with and I will always love you and every single human on the planet each shares a singular universal truth. I sound freaking amazing in here, right? (laughs) There is a science to why we all sound good in the shower. It's in the echo. Something about the compact quarters of porcelain, metal, and wood that reverberate sound waves erupting from our throats, transpose them into major chords from minor notes, as if the walls themselves join in on your song, like the bathroom just agrees with you and sings along. I sound freaking amazing in here. Sound freaking amazing in here. Sound freaking amazing. And with your talent now affirmed beyond all all reasonable doubt, you settle down, task towel off, suit up, and step out into this buzzkill of a world. And its comments on your skills, something about nails on a chalkboard, whatever, and a cat being killed, whatever, and you not quitting your day job. And so you don't. Instead, you quit your daydreams. You abort your purpose. You divorce your passion, you call off the search for your power. You quit believing you sound good outside of the shower. And that is not actually to say, Lewis, that you can sing. Okay, let's just be clear. It is entirely possible that you, my friend, are never, ever supposed to be singing in the shower, ever. But rather, dancing or drawing or designing maybe you're supposed to be designing an event that will shower your community with leadership 
right? Or or creating a, a new product to bathe your company in liquid gain or, or uh, uh, crafting a new strategy to wash away your greatest fears or, or creating a new magic trick for your kids using bath beads, finishing the final chapter of your book on uh, clean water, right? Uh, 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 designing and, and inventing a new cutting edge tile that can heat an entire room with clean, sustainable energy converted from the bold sound waves of bathroom singers worldwide. Maybe what you are supposed to be doing in your daily sound booth is reaching down into your throat for the sound of your truth and pulling out the proof in the echoes of a story, a post, a blog. A pirouette, a post, a, a strategy, a slogan, a, a, a vote. There's so many viral building blocks that drive the, the building blocks of a voice. A creative voice, right? To enroll the world into your vision or a, a catalytic voice that accelerates your mission, a, a, an authentic voice that grants your future access, a poetic voice that narrates your passage in the lexicon of your life, helping you to say you, how you want to be heard when you don't have the clarity, when you can't find the words, when the cacophony in your head drowns out the symphony of your heart with a bed of white noise saying, Shh. it's not that you can't hear your voice. It's not that you can't hear your thoughts. It's that none of them sound like you. You don't recognize the sound of your own voice. You can't believe your words. So you bathe your throat in silence, waiting for your throat to clear. <clears throat> like a shotgun cut. <clears throat> a door unlocked. <clears throat> a needle dropped onto a whirlwind of thoughts. <clears throat> This way, this is the full expression of what you were born to do. This is the how to, to do it. That is uniquely you. This is the how to say it with this voice, these words. This is the how to live it, to be joined by those you serve as the voice of your, your customers or your community or your cause. But you are still your most important audience member of all. If your truth calls in the middle of life's forest and you ain't even there to hear it, it will not make a sound, a mark, or a difference. So what is the point of showing up to life if you don't announce you're there? What's the point of having a story if it never gets shared? Because you're too scared to talk your walk own what you do different. The first step to having to finding your true voice is to listen to voices other than your own. Then print your edition. Let the similarities help you define your divisions. Then say you to the world. And when met with resistance, when they tell you talk is cheap, <laughs> you tell them silence is unaffordable. Be voiceful because you are what you say. So don't say what you do until you do what you are. Only when your actions move with your words will your words move others to action. Maybe it's time to hit the showers like vocal booth and climb back in until your, your future recognizes your voice and it unlocks your doors wide. Your fate's GPS speaks in your voice and announces 
My career not only requires me to travel, but also gives me the freedom to. Traveling has brought me so many positive experiences and memories. Like that time I spent the holidays at an Airbnb in Big Bear with some of my extended family, and it was the perfect way to come together and connect with my family that I don't see that often. If you have a similar setup that allows you to travel often, have you ever thought about your empty home while you're gone? More specifically, how you can make some extra money by keeping your home occupied while you're out of town. I'm a big advocate for setting up a side hustle to give you an extra stream of income and Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start. Many people host on Airbnb, including some friends of mine, but there are some people out there who've never even realized their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you've got yourself an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Isn't it obnoxious when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print or bills that seem to go up for no dang reason? Like when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying even more than you would have elsewhere? At Metro by T-Mobile, there's nada yada yada. That means no contracts, no price hikes, no surprises. They don't even want me to speed through the legal, so here it is. When they say no price hikes when you join, they mean your price will never increase for talk, text, and smartphone data plans. Their only exclusions are for limited time promos, per-use charges, and third-party services. I guess that really is nada yada yada. At Metro by T-Mobile. Nada yada yada. Think of all the amazing things in life that are expressions of just you. For instance, the song you stream over and over again while you're in your 13th hour of gaming at 4 a.m. in the morning with all the lights off trying not to wake up your roommates. Or the recommendations that you share with your friends on the top six comedy podcasts that are the best to listen to on your way to the gym and back. Or even your new haircut, which may or may not be an epic bowl cut from the 90s and hopefully is. Everything that makes you, you, makes all the difference. State Farm believes insurance should should work the same way. Your plan, your coverage selections can be personalized by you and the ability to choose the plan that you want by picking the options that fit you. Like choosing to bundle your home and auto policies is what the State Farm Personal Price Plan is all about. Getting the coverage you want at an affordable price just for you. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. You have arrived. And you step outside into life's voice booth of earth and seas and skies and prove your voice sounds just as freaking amazing as it did inside as you announce to this world, I am here, right here, and I'm finally the right me, and it echoes off everyone around you. Till the universe responds, I agree, and your future <clears throat> clears its throat for good and joins in on your song, and your voice becomes an anthem, and the whole world sings along. I got the chills. <laughs> <laughs> I just got the chills. That was great, man. Holy cow. Thank you, dude. Appreciate it. So, so teach us how to do that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Right, right, right. So, what, is, so what, is, what you just did, it was 
I mean, everyone needs to go watch this. If you're listening to the podcast, go watch uh, YouTube slash Lewis House. So you can see the performance side of this as well. Yeah, it's, it's so much weird, more like, a, performing at a table. Yeah, like. you're not standing. <laughs> yeah. So you're much more an, uh, animated when you're standing. You're I am. Far. But, I, you know, yeah. also, like, that's I'm a big proponent of, like, be mighty on any stage no matter what it is. You right, know, like, right. people get so wrapped up in, but I'm in a boardroom. I'm yeah. at a podium. I'm at a, I'm on a, in a camera frame. I'm like... Mm-hmm. Tell Meryl Streep she can't be powerful in a tight camera frame. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, more your anybody. facial expression. That you have to use everything. what you have. Like, yeah. literally, your body becomes chest up. So, very little was happening, obviously, down here because there's nothing to do. But I'm I'm still connecting with you. I'm still connecting with the room. Yes. This entire room is my stage. My face is my vehicle. My, my body, my arms, my fingers, everything is my instrument. And, you know, I tell people all the time when I'm like, when I'm doing something on video or for webinars, whatever, I'm sure you can, you know, ref- like you can relate to the fact that you can be dynamic on a webinar. Mm-hmm. Like you, that's your whole business is like saying, I'm going to bring the party to my webinar. Yeah. And, and it's like no matter how tight that frame is, you go, OK, so what do I have to work with? Eyes, no- nostrils, hair, you yeah, know what exactly. I mean? Yeah, like yeah. lips. I'm going to yeah. use all of it. Yeah. Amazing, man. Do you feel like. There can never be too much performance if you're, let's say, just speaking on stage, for example, or in front of a boardroom. Can you have too much performance? Oh, yeah. And is there ever a time where you should be more, I guess, hands down and not as expressive? Or what do you – So let me say this. Like the Put it talk you styles, can, you know. It's not like, too much performance. It's it's the wrong performance. It's not no, – the timing of it, right? Well, so a Broadway actor. Mm-hmm. A Broadway actor has to be big. Right? right. That's why Broadway actors are like, it's Hollywood. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're big because you have to reach the the person in row 50 has got to still be able to feel the emotion. So a film actor doesn't have to be big. If you bring a Broadway performance to film, then it's the wrong performance. It will mm-hmm. feel like too much performance when it's not actually that it's poor performance. It's that you didn't perform right for your particular environment. Yeah. And that's why I'm really big on, you know, know your audience, know what the environment is, know what your camera frame is, know what the mic, the mic situation is, know what your parameters are. And then you decide how big you want to fill up the mm. space that you have to work with. Mm. Amazing. You know? What is something that everyone could use more of when they're speaking on stage? Connection. What's the best way to connect? The best way to connect with a human being is to be a human being. So you stand on stage, you, you, you're not speaking to business cards, you're not speaking to titles, you're not speaking to technology, you're speaking to the people that run technology, you're speaking to the people whose names are on the business cards. And so you find those universal connections, those universal threads and stories that we all share, you, you know, you, 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 uh, you undress yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, you peel off your layers, you show yourself, show your humanity, and you make sure that you become a masterful storyteller, um, so that it feels like I just sat up there and watched you talk about your humanity and your stories and your life. And yet I somehow I'm going, but I'm walking away with amazing business takeaways, incredible sense of what the data is that he delivered, all the stats, all the numbers, all of that I got. It was unrecognizable, but yet unmissable. And that's the power of of really you becoming a powerful storyteller. Mm. So is there a framework to this? Do you have like a structure to a speech, let's say a 30 minute speech or any time frame doesn't matter, but you want to get some data points across or lessons or bullets. How do you know when to weave in story and vulnerability and connection and intimacy and reveal yourself? How does someone, if you think about, um, again, you know, I always go back to performance because I have a successful speaking career and I was never trained as a speaker. 
right? I was trained as a performer. So I'm always bringing what performers do to mesmerize an audience into speaking. Um, and if you think about, uh, you know, going to a concert or a, a dance recital or a comedy, you know, an hour long comedy routine or whatever, right? It's, it's an act and an exercise in energy management. You're always trying to harness the audience energy, right? And so you you always juxtapose highs and lows. You always juxtapose different energies. You always juxtapose. If you look at a film, um, the most powerful films are the ones that make you laugh and cry. You know what I mean? Um, and so you're always figuring out how can I put these ver these uh, uh, diverse energies uh, together in a way that creates a journey and creates a crescendo. And so, you know, if I'm looking and I'm in a tender moment too long, then I know the audience is going to need the valve to be released on that. Right, right. You know what I mean? Some if humor I, or right, something. Right. Something. Humor, a point, a powerful takeaway, uh, um, uh, an inspirational message that puts the stamp and the seal on that tender moment and gives me a sense of why I'm experiencing this and what to do with these emotions. And then I move you into a different place. The real trick to um, energy management and to audience management is to never let the audience get ahead of you. You know, and that's what happens. A lot of times we get up there, we got our slides, the slides say what we're going to say. We just repeat the slides, you know, or, or you do things like, I'm going to tell you a story now. You you forecast every single thing that you do. And the audience after a while, you know, here's the three things I'm going to talk about. And they go, great. Well, I got that. So let, <laughs> yeah. me, check, let me check my Facebook now. You yeah. know what I mean? And so they check out because they go, I understand what this is about to be. But if you can create... um if you can create an experience where they never understand quite get their their their, their grounding and you know what I mean they never quite get a firm foothold so they always feel like I don't know what's about to happen next and I kind of want to know so let me pay attention mm. you know what I mean and then or what at the end would you wrap it all up and say well this is what I told you or this is what oh no no happening. you don't wait to, you don't have to wait till the end for that you know like you can deliver those I deliver my takeaways all throughout just like any other sure, speaker sure. you just don't see them coming right you know I have one. Um, one of my most popular keynotes is called DIY Innovation. And it's all about how innovation starts with yourself. You innovate yourself. It's like, you know, the HGTV version of, of innovation, yeah. right? It starts with you. You have your hammer and your screwdriver and your, in your hand. And you have to, if you're going to be a leader trying to inspire a culture of innovation, mm -hmm. you need to, you need to walk that innovation talk, right. right? And so one of the things, you know, I have lots of different takeaways. And one of the takeaways that I make fun of is, um, I want you to go Tom Hanks and big yourself. Right. Uh -huh. And then I stop and they always look at me like and I go, that's right. I just said that that just <laughs> happened. You know what I mean? I'm a poetic voice. I don't I can I can innovate the takeaways of my choice. And I choose to tell you to Tom Hanks and big yourself. Right. <laughs> and then I go through the movie and how we've all seen the movie and they raise their hand. And, you know, I'm like he was sitting there and I, and I go through the whole point of Tom Hanks in that mo in that moment saying, I don't get it. We have, as a toy company, have lost our sense of purpose in why we're creating toys. And then I tie that into how you as a company can't, don't transform yourself from a robot into a building as a company. You know what I mean? Make sure that you transform yourself from a what to a why. Transform yourself from a product to an experience. So I then go back right in that moment and give them the takeaways. Right. But if I can tie it into a little bit of wonderment at the beginning, sure. They people never forget Tom Hanks and Big Yourself. Yeah. And they will forget, you know you are the master of your own innovation or whatever. Yeah, like yeah, they'll yeah. forget some other of standard course. takeaway, you know? And right. then they, and then it's delicious for them. And then they share it. And then it, you know what I mean? It has this sense of like, yeah, Tom Hanks, a big, we got to tell our team to raise our hand and say, I don't get it. And they all have this collective experience. And that's what you want in a speech. Yeah. What would you say is the best way to open 
a speech? Uh, so I teach something called. What's the wrong way um, to open a speech? Because <laughs> I'm sure you've seen all sorts of people. Oh gosh, just there's lose your so right many way. wrong ways. <laughs> so many wrong ways. Um, I would say one of the classic wrong ways to open a speech. I, I think forecasting is just the wrong way to open a speech. I think telling people what you're gonna. Yeah, I think tell telling yeah. telling spilling it all and just letting them get that. So here's what I'm gonna do: forecasting everything. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna talk to you about this, but before that, I'm gonna tell you a story, and then I'm gonna do you know. No, just take me along on the on the journey. Um, I think one of the other wrong ways to start a speech is. Um, so what I was going to say is I, I I teach these things called communication calibrators, right? And and it's the principle that that in the first two minutes of any speech you can um, engage any audience, right? So, um, and you can do that with these calibrators that allow you to learn two things or allow you to 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 um, to create two effects. One is you can learn who your audience is and you can let them know who you are as a speaker. And then you can calibrate within for the first where they, within, that first, within the first two minutes of any speech, right? And so some of the calibrators are things like um, one of the probably most speaker 101 uh, calibrators is, is state change, right? You hear a lot of speakers will use a state change. How's everybody doing? Something that makes you respond. Who's here to, to talk about money, you know? And all uh, right. And a lot of times the state changes are kind of like, you know, who wants to make a million dollars? Me. Like, right. It's almost like you're forced to answer, you know, yeah, and you yeah. hate it. And you just don't want to be a jerk because you feel like the guy's looking at you. But there's nothing that compelled you to respond. Mm -hmm. So I always feel like the state changes should come from inside if I'm going to do that, you know, and I, or they should be funny or unexpected. And then I'll use things like. Um, I'll use humor. I'll use mm. audience acknowledgement. I'll use host acknowledgement. Um, and again, host mm. acknowledgement is one. These can all be used poorly and well. You hear a lot of people that will use host acknowledgement. Thanks, uh, Lewis, for for bringing me up here. It's an honor to be on the stage with you all. You know, okay, great. You yeah, honor. Yeah. But what if instead you told a really funny story about the about the first time that you met mm. or what if you told a story about something that lewis just said to you backstage right you know you tied it in in some way that was just unexpected felt natural you know if you if you acknowledge the audience why not acknowledge them in a way that's you know you paid attention to the fact that the speaker before you just did a, a dance i remember i was doing a uh i was uh or or no a perfect one i was doing a speech where the they had a prayer done and the reverend that did the prayer before dinner it was a, it was a dinner speech. Uh, he he wrapped his prayer right. So my audience acknowledgement was to get on stage and make this whole joke about how, uh, you know, thank you, uh, you know, Pastor Pastor Johnson. I, I appreciate that amazing prayer. Uh, I just have one thing to say. Um, can I keep my job? Because you know, you coming after I'm supposed to do the poetry up in here. You know what I mean? And you, I didn't come over to your table giving the prayer. Can you right. back off my poetry? You know, so a great moment acknowledges what happens, uh -huh. but actually ties it back into my speech, and then I move on. So everything that you sh that you're doing should be to create the desired effect that you want, and not just as if you're following speaker rules 101 right. and a performer always thinks when i if i'm going to get you to say oh or scream or put your lighters up i'm going to create that effect and harness that energy so that you want to do it mm -hmm. nobody ever is forced to put their lighters up at a concert you know what i mean right. like you do it because you're having a collective experience and that's what speakers need to bring into mm. their speeches man what do you tell to people that are just like terrified of speaking in the first place? What should they, you know, I'm, I'm terrified to yeah. get on stage. When, when I started speaking, I was terrified and I did Toastmasters for a year. Mm -hmm. And every week I showed up and I learned principles. Yeah. 
and just practice in front of a group of 20 people who gave me positive feedback and what I could work on and how I could improve. And it gave me prompts. It allowed me to use props and different tools and techniques to try to just get out of my comfort zone, um, get behind the podium and in front of it. And uh, what would you say to someone who's like just terrified? It was like, all these things, things sound great, but I don't even think I can stand up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so – Toastmaster, there's so many great speaker programs mm-hmm. out there. And what even to me, the the worst ones or the most basic ones, <laughs> I should say, are still good because we all are, are at different places. Like yeah. you said, with our public speaking, like if you're just like, I just need some tips to just be able to get out there, then it's great to, to just get out there. You know, something like Toastmasters is great to actually just force you to start getting on stage mm-hmm. and just being in front of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll do things like, you know count your ums yeah. and, you know all have a clicker stuff. all that kind of stuff and it's 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 meant to stop you from the behavior that is debilitating for you right to me the problem is then we stop there yes. as a speaker there's nothing after that right. there's no advanced training right and and even when there is advanced training it it's a continuation of the same mindset Right. So it's still helping you to suck less, mm-hmm. basically. You <laughs> right, know what right. I mean? <laughs> and I'm sure, going sure. like my goal is like I want I want you to move from sucking less to to being instead of just focusing on eliminating your mistakes, to be able to be mightier than your mistakes, to be able to be Beyonce that falls and trips on the stairs and gets up and is still amazing. Everybody's like, that's the best concert I've ever seen. Right. And yeah, the the fall may go viral on YouTube, but you know, you wrap that into your you're, you're pressing, positioning, and you get more record sales from it. Sure, but, sure. But it never stops you from being mighty on any stage. And I think the uh, the it's a mentality shift. You know, it's a so so. Say for example, with someone that has, um, I'm actually working right now with an executive who who has debilitating nervous and had a really bad experience and um, needs to be able to get over that so that he can be the the voice in the face of his company. Um, and one of the things that I have to remind people is that your nervousness has a source. Your nervousness is coming from the, the, the fear that you will not execute something well. So people a lot of times will attack nervousness and that's it. And you have to do that because it is a physiological response. Um, and, you know, simple, I mean, the most, mu- the most basic things, breathing and visualization and mindfulness and all these kinds of things that we work on that are performance techniques. But you have to recognize that there's an equal ratio with nervousness and confidence. So the more that you are building your confidence in being able to execute powerful techniques, the less nervous you'll be right. <laughs> because part of your nervousness is you're confident is, now. Right. You're yeah, not yeah. confident. You yeah. don't think that you're going to be able to stand out. You think your jokes are going to bomb. You know, when I work with people uh, t- to say, give them improv training, you know, improv training is to make you distraction proof. Right. And improv artists, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, I can turn any disaster into delight. If you walk on the stage with an improv artist confidence, nervousness goes away because you're like, come on, bring it at me. Whatever you got, you know, throw it at me. I can take anything the room can throw at me. My slides are in the wrong order. My the, the Somebody laughs, door slams. I've had fire alarms go off. I've had stages collapse. I've had lights and music blare in my speech. I will turn all of it into an amazing moment because I think like a like a performer, like an improv artist. So even though I do get nervous and I believe nervousness is good, by the way, I believe that that a certain amount of nervousness is good to keep you present, keep you focused, to keep you focused, yeah. to keep you alert, right? So you never want to eliminate it because then you look like that robot on stage that's going to the speech that you've done a hundred times, right? But if you can keep enough nervousness so that it keeps you focused and alert, then it turns into 
the zone. It turns into flow. It turns into adrenaline. It turns into all those things that keep an athlete in the zone, keep a a singer in the zone. You know what I mean? And then literally everything begins moving in slow motion and you just are masterful. And the audience watches you not only deliver, but they watch you recover masterfully. And people love a good recovery, whether it's a business story in reading somebody's book, whether it's the hero's journey in a movie or whether it's watching you on stage face incredible odds and overcome them and recover. They love watching that. Mm. Yeah. So what are the things we can do to, to be masters then as opposed uh-huh. to, you know, we go through the basics to not suck. Yeah. Then how do we, do you tell people to do improv then? Is that something everyone should do if they're going to be a speaker? I think that you, um, you getting outside of your your box inside of, outside of your comfort zone you moving yourself outside of the mentality of just a speaker i think that you have to do both it depends on where you are in your level as a speaker so if you are just starting out then i think you want to you want to learn from as many sources as possible sure. you know um all of them are going to give you great tips great techniques mm-hmm. as you become more advanced or even as you're starting off um parallel you know in tandem to learning from speakers learn from outside of the speaking industry yes you know i'm big on learn from outside of your industry to stand out within your industry and we do it in our businesses right we do it in we you know i'm I'm working with corporations all the time where it's a healthcare company that's learning how to eliminate medical error from the airline industry you know what i mean like we do that in our businesses but we don't think to do it in our in our communications our personal communications and so so, who are the people we can learn from actors singers musicians so so i'm big on if you want to learn how to be um more graceful on stage then why not learn from a dancer right dancers tell entire stories with their bodies and no words so if you think that your content is so dry Imagine if you had no content and you still had to deliver that that story and there was no verbal content, right? How could getting into your body help amplify your storytelling? If you want to learn how to create infectious speeches that leave your audience remembering them for years, learn how to write your speech like a songwriter instead mm. of a speechwriter. How many times have we had uh, because I'm happy in our head or hey, soul sister or any of those hooks from the summer that we are singing and we can't get out of our head? I had a woman that um, was giving a TED Talk And as soon as we began recrafting her speech like a song, we realized that she had like 12 hooks in it and nobody's going to have listened to a song with 12 hooks. And she had to restructure it. And this is the the chorus. This is the A verse. This is the B verse. This is the the, the repetition. This is the crescendo. This is when the curtains pull back and the gospel choir is revealed and just stage dive into the audience, you know, and it was that sense. And so if you want to learn how to be authentic in your skin, why not learn from an actor? You know, if Jamie Foxx is playing, uh, Ray Charles, he's studying a human being and playing him flawlessly to where you can't tell the difference. But what if Lewis was studying Lewis? What if offstage Lewis, uh, sorry, onstage Lewis was studying offstage Lewis and saying offstage Lewis is is charming and, and infectious and confident. And then I get on stage and my body betrays me. So I'm going to begin to study what it is that that my character does offstage so that I can begin to play that role and give an Oscar winning mm-hmm. performance of that role on stage. So you learn from these performers and it cracks your mentality open in terms of what your power can be on stage. Right. 
I've recently joined the world of home ownership. And one thing I've learned is that there's so much more freedom with what I can do with my home, but also so many more decisions to make. Figuring out where to start on big projects like a complete room makeover can be overwhelming. But with Crate and Barrel's free interior design service, a design pro can provide design and styling help for projects big or small. Whether you're redesigning your living room, choosing a new dining room table and chairs, or even just styling a bookshelf. Work one-on-one -on -one with a design pro who will work with existing furnishings and help you choose new ones. Get 2D layouts and even 3D renderings so you can actually see your space to help you decide. Did I mention it's free? Yes. Having fun exploring the possibilities of what you can redesign or have the design desk help. Go to CrateAndBarrel.com or your local store to make an appointment with the Crate and Barrel Design Desk. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. And did you do improv yourself then or no? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. You did for a number of years. Do you mm -hmm. still do it every now and then? Every, every now and then. Really? And I, and I bring it into I bring it into all the speaking that I do. And, you know, I mean, it's almost like, whether, you know, think about like a freestyle hip hop artist, you know? I mean, have you ever seen like an amazing freestyle artist, yeah. dude? Well, I mean, like, they're incredible. Eminem. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I've oh, seen yeah, the videos yeah. of him. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. Next level. Like, like his ability to deliver complex rhyme structures and you can just be like hold up a cup and a book and a and he just goes like what if you could wire your brain like that to be able to handle anything that is thrown at you you know and so training like a freestyle artist or an improv mm -hmm. artist helps to 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 connect to get those types those synapses firing you know what yeah. i mean and connect those uh make those connections in your brain that allow you to think like that mm -hmm. and we just you you can't build those muscles if you're only, you know it's like if you're just doing push-ups, you're never going to train the small muscles. You know what I mean? Like, and sure. people are just doing speaker push-ups, and I'm trying to get right. them to train, like the, you know, like the, uh, the 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 movies where the dance troupe or the cheerleaders learn from Capoeira and uh -huh. Kung Fu. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. Sure. How important is it to memorize certain parts of a speech or performance? Because you have memorized stuff and non-memorized, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, so here's one of the things that people. Um, rarely know about me. I am probably on teleprompter about 90% of the time and no one ever believes when it. When you speak. When I speak. Oh, you are? So in, including oh. the person that's in the front row sitting next to the teleprompter still does not, they're like, you did you you were not on teleprompter like how I, how do you memorize that is probably one of the questions that I get asked most often. You're usually on the teleprompter. And I'm usually on teleprompter. Now, so, th so what that says is two things. One, um, I'm always... 40 to 60% memorized, even when I'm on prompter, because I created it and it's in your blood. You know, you know your work, right? Yes. Um, sometimes it's just personal stories, anecdotes. And then the reason why I'm on prompter, just so I'm clear, is because of the nature of poetic voice. 
um, the poetry aspect, we're very, very specific about each word, each syllable, you know? So it's not just a free flow talk the whole time. I seamlessly weave in and out of the poetry and I have to honor the structure of the poetry that I wrote. Mm. And poets, you know, we can agonize about whether the word should be yellow or canary for like an hour, you know? Right, right, right. So after we decide the perfect word and the perfect structure and symmetry and so forth, you want to honor that. And then I'm, I'm constantly repurposing work. Um, so I'm diabetes on Monday, cloud computing on Wednesday and shoes on Friday. So I have to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm making sure that the work is applicable to the industry that I'm sure. in and that I'm honoring the structure. But that said, I'm always moving in and out of the parts that are memorized and the parts that aren't. Um, one of the techniques that I teach, I teach a lot of different techniques on how to memorize dense amounts of content very quickly. And one of the quick tips that anybody yeah. can use is just, again, so much of this stuff is like we've been taught it, but we just don't use it. Muscle memory. Muscle memory is one of your best assets to memorizing something quickly. The first time that I had to memorize that phrase, learn from outside of your industry to stand out within your industry. If you remember that when I first did it, I did this gesture, right? Uh -huh. Because I had to memorize that phrase um, as part of something that I had memorized basically overnight, like right. less than 12 hours. And it's, you know, a lot of my stuff is tongue twister, you know, it's, it's play on words. And so it gets confusing verbally and I kept messing it up, learn from inside to mess out to what is it again? Right. And so I just forced myself to go learn from outside your industry, to stand out within your industry. And so what it's happens like sign is, language. right. Yeah, yeah. And so I point to my head, I point out, you know, learn at point to my head at learn, point outside at outside, point, um, you know, stand. And I point to my feet for stand. And then I, you know, uh, make a gesture like it's coming from out of me um, for the word within. Mm. And what happens is you get to that part, your brain will blank. Your brain will go, what's the next line? But your body is already doing this. Mm. You know what I mean? And so then your brain looks at what your body's doing and your body's going, hey, hey, psst, here's the line. Mm. You know, and then your brain goes, all right, learn, because we're pointing to our head. And then next thing you know, you're back on track. So if you can begin to use like, this is the part that I go down. This is the part that I reach up. The more you use a technique that I call body telling in your storytelling, in your speech delivery, then you also give yourself a powerful memorization mm, technique. That's powerful. Yeah. So you don't have to just memorize everything. You right. have to more memorize the cues. That's right. The body language. The, bo the, bodies, the body is the stage manager off, mm. off stage in the wings. Telling going, you the line. The line. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Exactly. Amazing, man. Um, this is powerful stuff. And you've got a program, correct, that, that helps people become better speakers. What's it called? It's called uh, Stage Might. Stage, Stage Might. Might. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a course that I've been teaching, you know, CEOs, C-level executives, on down to entrepreneurs, on down to people that just want to be more a, power, a more powerful attorney or a more mm. powerful mom at the PTA meeting, you know, and just saying, like, I want to be a more dynamic communicator and influence people in a more powerful way, mm. whoever they are. And where, where do they get that at? Uh, so I do typically, um, you can get it on my website, SekuAndrews.com. Okay. Um, and, cool. you know, you can also make sure you go to RockstarSpeakerSecrets.com. And that's where I'm actually, that's where you can, that's where I'm just training. That's where I'm sure. just pouring. You know what I mean? Like I'm literally just going to spend an hour or so on a webinar, just literally teaching as many of these types of techniques mm -hmm. visually for people as possible. Um, th this really came from, I, I didn't, I didn't have a desire to be a speaker trainer. Like I, I'm a successful speaker. I'm good. You know, yeah. like this came from 
me getting tired of not having an answer for how do you do that. For everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, because you were doing a lot of one-on-one training with people, right? Well, even before I was doing the one-on-one training. Yeah. Like I was just getting the CEO of the company that I spoke for going – how can I connect with my audience the way you just connected with my audience? Right. You know? Yeah. And I was just kind of like, well, that's just my gift. It's my magic. I don't know. Yeah. You know? And as I began to down. dissect that process, I was like, I'm not bringing in speaking stuff. I'm bringing in performance stuff. And once I realized that, I was like, that's the difference is all of them are trained as communicators and speakers. None of them are trained as artists and performers. And they all think, well, I don't want to train as a performer because I'm not trying to be a performer. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's not to be an improv artist, it's not to be a singer, it's to bring Beyonce into your boardroom. You know what I mean? It's to bring Marlon Brando into your book tour, it's to bring the, the rock star secrets into your public speaking. Mm, I love it, man. Yeah, so, man. Rock star public secrets. Rock, rock star, you, you got me messed up. Speaking. <laughs> rock star speaker secrets. Rock star speaker secrets.com. And SekouAndrews.com, yeah, right? And SekouAndrews, yeah. S-E-K-O-U.com. There you go. Um yeah. This has been great stuff, man. Thank uh, you, dude. What's the thing you're most proud of in your life that most of us don't know or most people don't know about you? What is the thing I'm most proud of? Wow. Um, I would probably – well, if you're talking about – so you said specifically something that people don't know about me? Yeah, something you're proud of that most people don't know about. Um. Gosh, when your life is this public, I have to remember what people don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not a lot of people know. Right, right. Um, or just thing you're most I proud say, of? I mean, honestly, when I think about the thing that I'm I'm most proud of, it really is being able to say I'm a, I'm a full time poet. Like there's just it's pretty cool. Not you know many, what I mean? Yeah. Like there's not there's a handful there's of people. You and Adam like, and right, Q, and Q, right? Prince Steve Connell, Prince EA, like right, and most of them are my boys. You know, and yeah, Q's yeah. my fam. Yeah. Steve, you know, a lot of us came up on the same scene out here, and there's very few of us that can say that, and that's a real point of pride mm. for me to just be able to say like this is, you know, I always joke how I left. When I stopped pursuing uh, hip-hop and acting, I stopped pursuing multi-billion dollar industries to pursue like a multi-hundred dollar industry. Yeah, exactly. And to figure out how to pioneer it into uh, a multi-at least million dollar industry. Yeah, you yeah. Know? You've turned your passion into your profession. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very, proud of, very proud of that. That's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. It's a gift. And I think there's a lot of people listening who can be inspired by that where they might have a passion for something that is even small, uh, that is a, is a bigger niche than yours. Yours yeah. is a much smaller niche than theirs, <laughs> it's very small. but they feel like, um, I'm passionate about surfing, but I don't know if I can pursue it or pursue right. the industry or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, or they're passionate about singing, but yep. they're not going to be a professional singer, but yep. there's always a way in the industry that you could create right. something from Tom that, Hanks so. and big yourself, baby. There you go. Tom yeah. Hanks and big yourself. Innovate. I like <laughs> That's it. Right. I like it. What's the thing you're most, uh, most grateful for in your life? Um, I am most grateful for today. Mm. Like, you know, it's, it's a constant, um, it's a constant gratitude outdoing of itself in my life. You know, um, I, uh, I woke up yesterday, you know, I've been, you know, trying to sell my house and buy a new house mm -hmm. and, you know, I woke up, we had a, we had a, a offer on a home that we really, really wanted. And we were going to have to, you know, move out of our place. And, and if we didn't get this offer and get a temporary place until we found the perfect home and all this, and the offer didn't come through and my wife and I just were just crushed. Mm. And, um, I, I woke up that morning and one of the students in my stage, Mike program had sent me an email that I had 
um, an email basically saying that um, in the Louisiana floods recently, she lost everything. Mm. And she was asking for donations and I donated very quickly because sometimes I can wait to send the most powerful emotional message and then I forget to do the thing that she needs immediately, you know? And so I donated right away, but I never got back to her. And I just sent her an email and was just like, you know, like, your story reminds me of how much that I have to be grateful for that not only can I help you in this particular situation, but also like, what am I tripping off of? Like, and you know, whether, you know, people, I, I always say like my, my daily prayer is, is, uh, that I thank God for my problems. Cause I got good problems. Absolutely, man. I got fantastic Living in Los Angeles. Problems. You know what I mean? Good life, man. Yeah. Like I got the best problems in the world and I have the, the ability to solve them. I have the resources. I have the community, the yeah. love, the faith, the persistence, the endurance, the wealth, the skills, all of it mm -hmm. to solve any problems that I have. And so it's a daily act of gratitude for me. That's cool, man. Yeah. That's cool. Um, this is a question I ask at the end called the three truths. And if this was the last day for you many, many years from now, and you mm -hmm. only could leave behind three truths of lessons or inspiration that you would pass on to your friends, family, and the world, you get a piece of paper, you get to write down the three things you know to be true about life. What would you say are your three truths? Mm -hmm. This is all they would have to remember you by. The three truths would be, the first would be, you are enough. You are beautiful enough. You are strong enough. You are mighty enough. You are powerful enough to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish, to do what it is that you set out to do in this world. So remember that you are enough. The second would be on a sort of more overall human, like you are enough is personal. And then I try to think of, okay, so what would be um, more communal? Um, and I think it's see yourself in everyone, you know, find yourself in everyone, mm. right? I think empathy is just probably one of the biggest solutions that we have to so many world problems that mm. is not being utilized, is not being taught, is not being active, uh, engaged and activated in our, in our lives. And just finding yourself in everyone is just a powerful truth to, yeah. to, to help you know, your challenges and the world's challenges, you know, and to bring us closer together. Um, and then if I was to do one for sort of my, my career legacy um, and people that are inspired by my story, um, it would probably be when you get tired of trying to break into the industries of the world, create your own industry and make the world try to break into you. Mm. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. I like that one. I like that one. <laughs> um, is there any question that you would like me to ask you before I wrap up the final question? Um, good question. Any question that you would like me to ask you that you would, I would like you to ask me. Um, or any question you wish people did ask you. I wish people asked me, that's a good one. God, there's so many. I'm like, it's like, it's like you got one, you know, you're about to die. Every, every question is like final stakes, you know? Uh, I would say probably what, 
favorite superpower? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I don't know why that just came to me. <laughs> I don't know why that just came to me. Um, it's not necessarily a question that I wish everyone would ask me, but it is a question that, in the, you know, standing in the room of greatness. Yeah. Well, you know? What's the superpower? Right. Um, well, you know, it's funny because as a kid, I always wanted to have telekinesis. Always, always wanted to have telekinesis, and um, I just thought it was the cool. You, ever, you remember the uh, the movie uh, Zap? Did you ever see that movie? It was a long it, time man. ago, dude. Nah. It was like it was Scott Bale or somebody, and he was uh, like, you know, he was like lifting skirts with his mind, you know. Sure, sure, and sure. of course, like as a middle school kid, you're, you're like, like, yes, <laughs> that power. <laughs> and so I always wanted to have telekinesis, and um, and then when I was creating the uh opening piece for you know jim quick mm -hmm. i was creating the opening piece for jim's uh superhero u conference uh -huh. and i was trying to think of you know what my approach to be superpowers would be and it and i always there was this book called the girl with the silver eyes that was my uh that was like my favorite book of a girl whose parents who uh who was born with these silver eyes and she could move things with her mind mm. and do the dishes while she was laying in bed and you know Sweet. I that was really dope <laughs> um and uh as i was crafting this opening piece for him the, the the realization came that I have built my career moving people with my mind, and it was like I have telekinesis. <laughs> That's cool. That's dope, you know. <laughs> and I was like, literally, so I, now it's like I always tell people, I'm a telekinetic. Like I can move anything in this room with my mind. That's you know? cool. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Any other questions? Uh, what's your superpower? Uh, I would say I'm really good at creating a vision and bringing it to life either for myself or for anyone else mm -hmm. and either figuring out the way myself or showing others how to get to the vision they want. Mm -hmm. So I always say, um, a vision is only as powerful as, as your voice, right? Um, a, a story is only as great as your ability to tell it greatly. So how could your voice be more powerful for your vision? In what ways would you love to make your voice more powerful to bring your vision to life? I think perf like understanding timing and performance and uh, improv more and having those tools and techniques would be extremely powerful. But I also think the work that I'm constantly doing for myself, just diving deeper into my own understanding and awareness. And I'm going to India for a month to do a, a meditation facilitator workshop to learn how to teach it to other people. So learning new skills, developing myself mastering everything that's curious to me, like leaning into it, my curiosity and mastering that skill to use with my voice. You know, when I think about myself seven, eight years ago when I was on my sister's couch with a, a cast uh, after a surgery for six months, after losing my dream of playing professional football, I didn't have many skills. And so I just started to be very curious about what is this thing? What is that thing? And started developing skills, which then I would use package it in a way and use it with a webinar or on stage or performing something else. And so for me, I think it's developing more uh, specific and powerful skills to use with my voice. Yeah. It's, it's range. Yeah. It's, it's, it's vocal range for, That's your, it. for your inner voice. That's it. Hitting you know? multiple octaves. That's right. Multiple you know what I mean? Octaves. You have stage. to stretch yourself to get to those octaves. That's it. That's so, right. um, it's it's doing the stuff that's scary, doing yeah. the stuff that's challenging. It's that's revealing right. things that are uncomfortable. It's, you know, when I first did Toastmasters, it was freak, I didn't want to do it. You know, mm -hmm. it was terrifying to me to stand in front of 20 people yeah. 
And I, I sat there behind a podium and read word for word without looking up because <laughs> I was so terrified of what people thought about me at 24, 25, That's whatever right. it was. And um, so I was doing the things that I'm – it's becoming Batman. It's becoming the bat. In every area of my life, whatever the fear is, it's like, up. Oh, that's what I'm afraid of. Time to go that's master right. it. That's right. I'm afraid Absolutely. of that. Oh, time to go do that now. Yep. Oh, this, you know, okay. It's time to lean into yeah. the fear and become the bat in everywhere, yeah. everywhere that I can. So maybe my superpower is bat being a Batman. I don't know. <laughs> Embracing the fear. Right. That's right. That's yeah, dope. Yeah. I love it. I so, love it. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. Um, before I ask the final question, uh, I want to make sure to uh, do something that I always do, which is acknowledge my guests. So, Seiko, I want to acknowledge you for your incredible voice and how you inspire the world and you move people with every word and story you tell. It's one of the first moments I saw you, I was mesmerized, like most people are, and you moved me. There's there's a reason you're here now. It's because you've always been on my mind to having you in this room with me to connect so I can learn from you because of the way you you showed me what's possible for myself. Because I was able to see it in you. You showed me what's possible for me to stretch into becoming more of that for myself. So I acknowledge you for your incredible gifts that you've worked extremely hard to to master over the years. I acknowledge you for your incredible heart for seeing people and for being able to bring them to life. And I acknowledge you for your ability to push your limits to continue to show us what's possible for our limits. I appreciate that. Yeah. I received that. Of course, man. Thank of you, course. brother. Absolutely. That's what's <laughs> of up. course. That's what's up. One final question is, okay. what's your definition of greatness? My definition of greatness. My definition of greatness is the ability to see to see yourself bigger than what you thought was possible pursue it and achieve it i think greatness by definition is outside of the range of what we think is possible um and when we think about people that have greatness they like you just like you just got finished describing, they are pushing themselves beyond the range of what is supposed to be possible, what is good, what is good enough. You know, we, we live as a society and this is good. This is good enough. You've done good. You've done well. And those that are great have pushed themselves beyond that. And whether that's um, living in a, a, a great life, a, a, a life that that achieves great things politically or socially, you know, a, a Mandela type life, you know, or whether that's um, being exceptional as a parent or whether that's being an exceptional learner. But it's 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 an ability to say my parameter, my my uh, my circumference, you know, is is beyond what most people consider possible. Right. And I think once you once you see that. Once you pursue that and once you achieve that, you land a greatness. Mm, second. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate Pleasure, it, man. Thank you. There you have it, lewishouse.com slash 410. This inspired you, moved you, or you learned something in a different way, then make sure to share this with your friends. Post it on your Facebook page, on Instagram, on Twitter. Let your friends know this is some powerful 
information, guys. We got to get this message out there. We got to share the message on how to become better communicators and better speakers. And Sekou has such incredible wisdom and information that he charges a lot of money for this information. So make sure to share this with your friends. LewisHouse.com slash 410 or go to the YouTube slash LewisHouse link and share that video with your friends as well on social media. I remember just starting out as a speaker feeling terrified of my voice, not having any control, not having any confidence in myself that anyone would actually listen to what I had to say. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter where you are at in your communication level right now or in your speaking level. If you're a beginner, if you're terrified, if you're mid-range or professional, there's so much you can learn to become a better presenter. And I look at myself, a guy that could barely stand up in front of five people without being trembling and terrified to speak and terrified of what people would think of me to now performing in front of thousands of people getting paid $35,000 a speech. It took time. But listen, it's possible. It doesn't matter where you're at as long as you're dedicated and committed to creating something unique for yourself, to becoming better as a speaker. You all have the power to become better, but you must make the decision to start right now and start developing your skills as a presenter, as a speaker, as a communicator. You have the power. You just have to make the decision to move forward today. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.